Romans chapter 10. There we go. It's on. Let's pray once again before we start. Father, help me to be clear in the things that are in this passage that would be uh, important not only to relay but to understand. And Lord, may we take hold of the things that you have put in Paul's heart and mind and on these pages and allow them to affect us in our lives. Thank you again for opportunity for us to gather here and to give attention to these words, to your words, and to allow them to speak to our lives. And we do pray your blessing on this evening and all that takes place, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Romans chapter 10, we are going to pick up where we left off, but I again need to set some things in place foundationally as we understand this. Remember, Paul is a Jewish theologian. When Paul talks about God, it is the God of the Hebrews. And and what he is doing through the book of Romans is trying to convey how this God that the Jews have always believed in is now reaching to the world that has not known him. Remember, the God that he's speaking of is Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He is one God, but he is dynamic. He is active. He is alive. He is working in the world. In fact, after the fall, when God created Adam and Eve, God had a plan for salvation. And so God was going to deal with sin. How was God going to deal with sin? Remember, we're not talking about us here as Christians and what we're seeing looking at Christ backwards. At the beginning, what did God do first to deal with sin? What did he do? He made a covenant with Abraham. Okay? And so in the beginning, God made a covenant with Abraham. And he said to Abraham, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so I'm going to put over here, earth, blessed. And I'm going to put uh, restoration. Through you, I am going to cause this to take place. Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so he made a covenant with Abraham. That covenant was an agreement. The children of Abraham did not continue in that agreement. They failed that agreement. And so because of their sin, because of their not being faithful to God and the promises and the work that God established and he made those uh, things clear through the law, What happened to the nation? Exile, okay? And so because of the breaking of God's command, and I'm going to put here the law, we have exile. And it's important that we understand these things because God's plan was to save the world through the covenant. And so when we hear the term, the righteousness of God, because we've been hearing it throughout this book. 
What does the righteousness of God mean? He is faithful. Faithful to what? To his covenant. The righteousness of God is his covenant faithfulness. Mint faithfulness. So when we hear the term the righteousness of God, it's not just that God's right, God's good, God's holy. Yeah, he's all those things, but the term the righteousness of God has to do with God being faithful to his promise. He's doing what he said he was going to do. He said he was going to use Abraham to bring about restoration and through him the whole world was going to be blessed. Okay, But between the promise and this, the children of Israel broke God's commandments, his law. They were in exile. Remember, the idea of exile is also uh, a covenant idea. It's breaking the covenant. That's why you're in exile. And so as long as the children of Abraham, the children of Jacob, Israel, were in exile, they considered themselves in a place that could not fulfill God's working. They couldn't be, God can't restore the world until we're out of exile. And so what God has to do in the mind of Paul's Jewish uh, fellow Jews who yet had come to Christ, in their minds for this to take place, for the God's restoration to take place, for them to bless the earth, and they thought they were going to bless the earth by being in charge and by making themselves a place where they brought the law to the whole earth. That was their thinking. They could not do that until they were out of exile. And so they looked for God to bring them out of this exile so that the restoration could take place. But God has to deal with sinfulness. The breaking of that covenant has to be dealt with because God is holy. God is just. God is righteous. And so the idea in their mind of the works of the law, another phrase that we come across quite a bit, has specific meaning, works of the law. And the meaning in the Hebrew mind was ethnic Israel, is ethnic Israel's identity. That's what the works of the law is, our law was given to us. You see, none of the other nations had the law of God that was written down that Moses had given to the nation. That was exclusive to them. And so when they talk about the works of the law, they're talking about really their ethnicity, their identity, not a moral obedience. Specifically, there were three things that were brought about that Paul talks about throughout this epistle. One is circumcision. We saw that in chapter two and throughout. The other thing is the Sabbath. These are things that belonged exclusively to the Jewish people. And the other was the purity laws or dietary laws. We don't eat pork. We don't eat shellfish. We don't eat things that are unclean. So the works of the law has to do with their ethnicity. The works of the law is us as Israel. This is who we are. This is what we were supposed to be. And the idea of restoration in their mind is the return from exile. So when you hear restoration 
or the word resurrection. In the Jewish mind, it is when we are out of exile and back. Ezekiel, these bones come together, come to life. That idea and picture of resurrection in the Jewish mind was restoration. And so we've been talking about this and Paul has been showing us that all these things that have taken place and this idea of restoration, resurrection was fulfilled in the person of Christ, the cross. That's where that took place. That's where God resurrected the faithful Israelite where he fulfilled their breaking of the law, accomplished those things, and he's dealt with it. And so last week we talked in chapter 9 about how God used the nation of Israel, Abraham's seed, Abraham's descendant, used them to make or to magnify sin. That it was through them that God was going to bring sin to a focus by their breaking of the law, their exile. And in that place, the whole world was going to see sin as it is and going to see how God dealt with sin and he dealt with it on the cross. And so God used this nation to bring focus to sin and to deal with sin. And he spoke to them that not everyone who calls himself Israel is Israel. He said that in chapter 2, and he brought that about in chapter 9. He said, well, Abraham had more than one child, but the promise only went to the one, to Isaac. It didn't go to Ishmael. And Isaac had more than one son, but the promise just went to Jacob. It didn't go to Esau. And so not everyone who calls themselves Abraham's child is the child of promise. God originally didn't bring everyone into this promise, and that is the case today. And then he talked about the whole idea of those he called, he predestined, those he predestined, he justified, those he justified, he then glorified. And we talked about that. Who did God call? Well, he called Abraham's children. How did he call them? He called them through the Messiah. How are we justified? How are we predestined? How are we glorified? It's through Jesus. It wasn't God being exclusive, saying, I'll choose some and I won't choose other. It was talking about how God was going to be specific and use the nation of Israel to bring about an awareness of the Messiah and that not everyone who just was born of this descendant belongs to the family of Abraham. You don't all get to claim your rights because of the works of the law, because of your ethnicity. You're still in exile you are still in this broken covenant, but now God has made the world aware of this through the person of Jesus. And in Christ, there is restoration, there is resurrection, and through him, he is going to bless the world. So what did God do? God kept his covenant. He's righteous. He is faithful to his covenant. God did exactly what he said he was going to do. And so now he's continuing in chapter 10 and chapter 10 and chapter 11 really go together, but we're only going to cover chapter 10 tonight. 
and then spend a lot more time next week on chapter 11. Let's read verses 1 through 4 in chapter 10. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer for prayer to God for the Israelites. Now, we're going to point out a couple of things as we're going on. That word Israelites is not there in chapter 1 in the Greek or in any translation. It might say they or them um, in some of your translations, and it's referring to those who are in Israel who do not believe that Jesus is the Christ. Why do I mention that if that's who it refers to? Because it also is put in in, chap- in verse 16, and there it doesn't mean that. So I'm just giving you a little heads up. So it's put in there. It does identify here that he's talking to those who are Jew. Jews who are of Jewish descent but who don't believe in Christ, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Remember chapter uh, 9, verse 1, I would give my own salvation for my brothers, the Jew. I wish that they could come to faith and I would give my own self in their stead. It's still his heart. He is not anti-Jewish. He is not demeaning the Jews, he is giving them a prominent place and showing love for them. He never says they're useless. He never says that. In fact, this part of the chapter, he's actually going to prove that they are of value in the next, this week and next week. He goes, the Israelites, that they may be saved, for I can testify Now, how can Paul testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge since they did not know the righteousness of God? They did not know what? The righteousness of God. Think about that, how that means. And sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So Paul says, I can testify. How can Paul testify? Why can Paul testify? Because his Christian analysis, this is his Christian analysis of his pre-Christian position. Paul can testify because he was once there. Remember the end of chapter 7 dealt with that. I know what it feels like. This is what it's like to be in this condition, to know what's right, but to not be able to do it, to be locked in and bound in this position of exile. And so he can testify because this is where he was at before he came to Christ. And it is even more so clear about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. He can be aware of this because of their zeal. Remember, zeal is not an emotional fervor. Zeal is what Paul was doing. Zeal, zealous in his zeal, I think Philippians 3, it says, in persecuting the church. How was he zealous? He was persecuting the church. So zeal had to do with picking up a sword, going to arrest people. It was involving action. And so he's saying, I can testify because I was there that they are doing these actions. They are, they are serving what they believe to be God, but it's not based on knowledge since they did not know the righteousness of God. They did not know the righteousness of God. And once again, we have to see this is not about 
how God makes them righteous, but this is about how God is faithful to that covenant with Abraham. They were ignorant about the righteousness of God because they thought the righteousness of God was going to come through their ethnicity. God has used them as a nation and through them, the nations were going to be blessed. But how were they blessed? Because they were excluded. God gave them exclusively the law. We are circumcised. We keep the Sabbath. We have our own laws. This is how God is going to, this is how God is going to make things righteous through us and what we do. Remember last week we talked about the bomb squad, that Israel was this idea of a bomb squad that the, they go and they take the bomb and they rescue the city from the bomb that's going to be exploded and they set it on the hill. But what happened with Israel is they said, that's right, we've got the bomb. And they didn't release the bomb, they held on to it when God said, no, you, your job was to take the bomb out to leave it on the hill, Golgotha, and I will deal with it there. But they didn't. And so their idea here is that they are still going to establish this. They sought to establish their own. How did they want to establish their own righteousness? By declaring themselves as God's people and them alone through their ethnic identity. That's why there was such contention. That's what Paul is dealing with here in Rome. It is the attempt to define grace to one race. We are the ones who delivered the bomb from the city, but now we're going to hold on to that bomb and make sure everyone identifies us instead of letting it be dealt with. And so Romans 9, 6, he said, it is not as though God's word had failed for not all who are descendants from Israel are Israel. And that's the point that Paul is making here. It's not all the descendants who are actually Israel. It's those who have understood the righteousness of God, his covenant faithfulness, and he's, again, going to take us to the point where we see Christ, and we see that in Christ. Verse 4 says, Christ is the culmination. Your translation might send the end or the completion And this is an important verse because Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Remember, we talked about God drawing to sin to a point where everyone could see it through the nation of Israel to one place that he could deal with it. It increased. It was illuminated through the nation of Israel. Then Christ, the faithful Israelite, was able to deal with it and bring it to an end. He's talking about this in not a negative way. Christ is the end of the law, not that the law was bad. Christ is in the end of the law, and now we've got rid of that stupid law. It was no good. No, the law is holy. It is just. So so why did it have to come to an end? And what do we do with it now that it's come to an end? How do we deal with this that it's come to an end? What is the meaning of it? And imagine, uh, you know, when we send a space shuttle up. You know, it's got the space shuttle on it, but on this, the space shuttle is attached to a rocket booster, right? And those 
boosters those jets, that's what gives it the lift. And so we see the rocket booster, and it's down here. I'm not an illustrator. Okay, and then here's the jettison, and this is the booster, and then up here is the actual space shuttle. And then when the booster gets to a certain point, it jettisons, and then it detaches so that the shuttle can go on. That was the end of the rocket booster. It did its purpose. You don't look back and say, man, that stupid rocket booster, it's useless. It's of no value. No, it was of value, but its value is completed. The law, it was good, but its value has been completed. It's come to an end. Its purpose was to ignite the shuttle. The purpose was to bring us to an awareness of Christ but now it's come to an end. And that's why Christ is the end, the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness, covenant membership for everyone. There can be righteousness for everyone who believes. Believes what? Believes that this is how God fulfilled his covenant. The law pointed to Christ, and now the law's work is done. So we are not under law. We are not required to keep the Sabbath. We are not required to eat the certain foods. We are not required to be circumcised, to be a part of God's covenant family. Why? Because it's done. It's over. It was great, did its purpose, was righteous for what it did, but now covenant memberships can go to anyone, even those who did not know the law as they are defining it. Even though they did not know, and again, chapter 2, verse 25, what if those who were uncircumcised kept the law how could they keep a law that they didn't know? And that's where he's leading us to right now. And so the whole idea right here is pointing to the Jews were zealous, but they missed the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God, his faithfulness to Abraham was completed in Christ. They thought it was through their ethnicity. No, it's not. It's through Christ. That's how he did it. Now, everyone who believes is a member of this covenant family of Abraham. And that's how all the nations of the earth are blessed, through Abraham and what he did. So, verse 5. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them, but the righteousness that is by faith says... Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. 
as scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so Moses writes about this. And as he's talking about Moses writing about this, he he brings about two, well, a bunch of verses, but a couple of verses to try and make the point known. And really what he's talking about here is very similar to what he talks about in Galatians uh, chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. And that's that both these passages are talking about the covenant. The first one's in Leviticus chapter 18. And it's the people of God are being given their commission, but being warned that if they don't keep it, then it means exile. Remember, exile is part of the covenant. And so when he says Moses writes about this righteousness it is that is by the law, the person who does these things will live by them. The person who does these things of the law will live by them. That is the purpose, to live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. And so what he's saying here is talking about how God has established this covenant law. He tells them that you have to keep the entire law. But then in Deuteronomy, it says a little bit more. And I want to read to you what he's quoting from in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 14. Because again, the Hebrew would understand exactly what he's talking about. He's not just pulling random verses and saying, well, here's a verse that kind of means something. These are all verses that deal with the covenant. The first one in Leviticus deals with the keeping of the law and that you are to keep all these things that are in the law. Remember, you are to keep them. Otherwise, exile. And in Deuteronomy 30, verse 11 through 14, it says, for this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. The Septuagint translation includes, and in your hands. And it says, so that you can do it. What did Leviticus says? The person who does these things will live by them. And Paul then says, what does doing mean when it comes to covenant renewal? How do you do it? What does it mean according to this righteousness requirement of God? What is doing it? What is that about? Doing means realizing that God in his grace brings his word to you and brings them to your mouth and in your heart so that you can do them. And so the passage in Deuteronomy 
that he's talking about is to bring them an understanding of what this covenant fully means. And it's not that you just have to keep this law. It's that God will actually bring the truth of this law to you. How does he bring it to us? By Christ. In John 6, 29, Jesus answered them and said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The work of God, how do you do the work of God? You believe on the one he has sent. Your requirement, he is telling them, was to believe in what he had promised and to put your trust in in that. And he's going back and he's showing them through their own scripture that the promise was that of faith all along. That God's covenant always included the cross. It always looked, it was cross-shaped in its purpose. That those he called, he called through the cross. Those he predestined, he predestined through the cross. Those he justified, he justified through the cross. Those he glorifies, he glorified through the cross. It was always cross-shaped. And they were to believe on the one that he has sent. He has sent. Christian faith is the real covenant faith of doing the law even though some of them never heard the law. And that's why, again, he say in chapter, how could those who have not been circumcised, who do not have the works of the law, how can they keep the law? Why is it that they're able to do that? Because God has brought the truth of the covenant to them, to their hearts, on their mouths. They now have the truth of the law because they have the culmination of the law in Christ. So the Gentiles come in here and the Jew says, you can't come to God. You don't keep the Sabbath. You can't come to God. You're not circumcised. You can't come to God. You eat pork and things that are unclean. You, you cannot come before a holy God because of these things. And Paul says, no, no, no. You, you've missed the point. God has brought the fulfillment of the law to them through God's faithfulness in the person of Christ. You're making it about the identity of who you are as Israelites, and God is saying, no, it's not that. God has done his purpose with that. He has brought the world awareness of sin, and through you, he has made the world aware of his Savior. But that was its purpose. That was your purpose as a nation. So now is the nation done? We got to wait and find out. And so the line of thought here was leading to this place. Throughout this book, we've been talking about that. Remember chapter 2, 25 through 29, the uncircumcised keeps the law. Chapter 3, verse 27, boasting is excluded by the law of faith. In other words, you can't boast in your ethnicity because there was a law of faith all along, and it was through Abraham, not through Moses, not through the keeping of the law. That's what he said in chapter 3. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, this law is fulfilled in us that wait, walk not according to the flesh. What is according to the flesh? Our ethnicity, but according to the spirit. And here the law that is in the gospel, the law of faith, is put on our lips and it is put in our hearts. It's what God has intended to do 
all along, and he's done it in the person of Jesus Christ. And so what is the law? It is the God-given badge of the people of God, which enables them to worship the one true God. So the law is completed in Christ. God then puts the name tag on us, says, okay, chosen, puts it on us. Why? Because the fulfillment of the law, I'm here in Christ. And so now the law has been fulfilled. The law is God's badge saying, yep, that person took care of it. It belongs to them. And in verses 11 through 13, we get back to that point of the one true God. And scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Again, now he's bringing into this idea the renewal, the the restoration will never be put to shame for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all. Hear, O Israel, Israel, the Lord our God is one. There's only one God. He is Lord of all, Jew and Gentile. There is no difference. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. He blesses all. Blessing, that's restoration. All who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Once again, we see this is a passage from Joel, another passage about covenant renewal. Again, Paul is not just pulling out verses here. All these verses have to deal with the covenant and God restoring the nation. Why is he bringing these out? Because he's showing his listeners, those he's writing to, those who are reading this at this time that God has fulfilled his covenant through Christ. The renewal has taken place in Jesus. The blessing of the world, the nations, is happening now. There is no Jew. There is no Gentile. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will give that name tag saying, you belong to me. You are called You are predestined. You are justified. You are glorified. You belong to the covenant family. Why? Because you've called on the name of the Lord. So all this is coming to the fulfillment in Christ. And that's what he's been pointing to. In chapter 9, verse 5, he talked about the hierarchy, the heirs of the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, blessed forever. God over all. All all these passages, again, are talking about what happened when Israel has suffered exile and when God says that the renewal has begun. What happens when renewal begins? Well, when renewal happens, the earth is blessed. Who is the earth? all nations. So when renewal happens, the whole world is brought in, which is where Paul goes from here. Well, if renewal is taking place, then God is blessing the world. How is God blessing the world? Let's read 
chapter 9, verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Again, a passage in Isaiah and a return from exile passage. All this has to do with this returning from exile. It all has to do with the proclamation of this great news What's the great news? Well, the law has been fulfilled. The person of Christ is the covenant faithfulness of God. You can now enter into this family, be blessed. Well, how can they be here unless someone tells them? He's talking about that. And then verse 16, it says, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. That word Israelites is not in the Greek. It's not in any of the Greek translations. And here's why it was there, why it was put there. It's there because of the belief that Romans 9, 6 through 29 is all about election and that Romans 9, 30 to 10, 21 is all about Israel's unbelief. But in reality and contextually, it's clear that Paul is talking about the Gentile mission and quotes all these verses about the return from exile. And so that's why Cranfield and N.T. Wright and others disregard that translation. If you see the New American Standard, English Standard Version, uh, you won't see the word Israelites there because it is not there in the Greek. The New International Version, King James lets us down here in this verse, okay? Because it's giving us an idea that now he's talking exclusively about Israel's unbelief, but really he's talking about bringing the Gentiles in. And that's what we see, because if it's not, but not all accepted the good news for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Renewal comes through the message of Christ. To who? To the world. And I love this translation and a lot of new modern translations, whether it's the English Standard or the New International, because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word about Christ. How long have I told you that the word of God means the message of Jesus, right? And so faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. What is the word of God? It's the word about Christ. That's what he's saying, okay? So faith comes by hearing this message about Christ. Faith in what? Faith in the one true God. Faith in the righteousness of God. It comes by hearing the message, the word about Christ. Verse 18, but I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Okay, again, Isaiah 53. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. God is now talking about this jealousy that he was going to make Israel jealous by these other nations. And Paul is pointing to that same thing. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. 
But concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. The result of all this is that the Gentiles are coming into the covenant people and Israel, as the prophets foretold, as Moses saw, Israel is missing out on it because they did not recognize the righteousness of God and how it took place, that it did not take place through their ethnicity. It took place by God's faithfulness in spite of them put on the faithful Israelite, Jesus Christ. And they're now being provoked because God is blessing the world, but they're not a part of it. And it's meant to provoke them to this jealousy, just like the prophets foretold. How can those who are not my people now enjoy these blessings? Well, because they believe and they are entering in to this prominence. And so from here, he's going to go even further into dealing with Israel, dealing with the nation of Israel, because again, he is not anti-Semitic. He is not against Israel. He's actually continuing to point the finger that Israel was the ones who led the way, brought to illumination what God was doing. But now... The works of the law, they're done. They're completed in Christ. The righteousness of God, the faithfulness to his covenant has been completed so that renewal can take place. And if you don't recognize that, you'll keep waiting. But when are you going to get out of exile? When will you be through with this exile? Because renewal can't take place until you are. And what is exile? It's the breaking of God's commands. Today, even today, Israelites do not believe they are totally out of exile, at least many of them. That they still are in this position of waiting for restoration. And so that's Romans chapter 10. Any questions about chapter 10? Nothing? Okay. Okay, well then let's pray and we'll close and we'll eat some dessert. Okay. Lord, as Paul has spelled these things out, we sit here today in a place of blessing because of what has been done. And Lord, I think we fail to recognize at times the blessing that really is ours, that the promise of the ages has now been put on our lips and put in our hearts, that you have brought this goodness, this blessing to us, that we didn't have to go and find it or keep it, but you through grace and through your spirit have brought it to our lives. And we accept these things and we are calling on your name and we acknowledge you. And because of that, we are brought into your family. We are saved. We enjoy the promise, the restoration, the hope that is given through Jesus. And and I pray, Lord, as we 
see these things that we would not just look at them and have a a mental understanding, but we would, in this understanding, recognize the position. Because, Lord, with this position comes responsibility. And if you were willing to cut off and deal with the ethnic nation the way that you did to bring about the promise, Lord, you will deal with us as well if we will not hold true to these things that we've been given. And so we have a responsibility of response to the blessings that are ours. And Lord, it's not so much a keeping of a law, it's more now of a keeping of this relationship and this covenant and recognition of what it means and living in it. And so may we take hold of these things and Father, may they encourage us, may they provoke us, even as they were meant to provoke those who were ethnically of your of Abraham, of Israel, as it was meant to provoke them to jealousy. Lord, may we recognize that and ourselves be provoked to live this life of blessing and promise and resurrection. And we do thank you for, again, your goodness and ask your continued blessing in Jesus' name.